a couple of people have asked, uh, quite a number of people have asked, what, what is your opinion about what's going on in Israel and, and the Gaza Strip and what's going on there? And I just want to uh, speak a little into the situation because so many people, and I think there, there are some pertinent issues. We're all aware of this brutal and devastating war that's going on in Israel. It started October 7th because I remember because we had a leaders meeting here at the church and um, some of our members were caught in Israel and they were in a bunker and they had contacted and said, please pray for our safety and protection. And we uh, spent some time at that elders and deacons meeting praying for Israel. The next morning here at our 9.15 prayer meeting, we spent that prayer meeting crying out to God and asking him. By the way, if you uh, don't know, you're invited to a prayer meeting at 9.15 every Sunday morning. We meet in the back hall and uh, you're most welcome to come. Uh, somebody said to me, I, th I thought that was the in crowd. And I wanted to say, yes, it is. And you're, you're invited. You become in when you show up. So who are the favorites? People who show up at the premium. Because they get to know. We get to pray about stuff. We get to talk. People are, nobody told me, you weren't at the prayer meeting. That's the way it works. But a lot of people say, well, what should we be doing? Well, what can we do? And my, my answer is, what has God given you the authority to do? Uh, obviously, we, we are called and given authority by the Lord to pray and intercede on behalf of everybody involved. And so we join our prayers with those around the world, and we trust that God would open up the hearts of the rulers of the nations and that God would bring peace and that he would protect the innocent. And my heart particularly goes out to the children who are disproportionately harmed and hindered by any war like this, and this is what we do. We pray for the families who've lost loved ones. And I don't care what nationality you are, if you've lost a loved one, that hurts like crazy. And we pray for our great nation for wisdom, for our leaders. We pray for every single person who's lost a family member and we pray for every innocent civilian and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem because that's what the scripture tells us to do. Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'm praying for peace you know, for, for that city, for that nation, peace in the Middle East. We're praying and calling out on God. So what do we do? We pray and we keep the word of God in front of us. Because the Bible says all the nations are going to bow and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow before him and dominion belongs to our God in Psalm 22. God reigns over the nations and God is seated on his holy throne in Psalm 47. There's, there's so much in the word of God that we can find solace with. Let me tell you what we don't do. We don't entertain a divisive spirit that can so easily take effect in times of great emotion and crisis. And this is a global crisis. We don't believe everything we hear on social media. I think we've learned that, hopefully. We don't give way to fear. We acknowledge this is horrific, but Jesus said in Matthew 24, when they said to him, can you tell us about the end? And, and when, what's the signs of the end of the times and the signs of your coming? And Jesus said, this, this was his answer. Watch out that no one deceives you. See, we so often miss this, but when there's times of pressure, there's so many voices that claim to have absolute truth. For many will come claiming, I, I, I'm the Messiah, I have the truth, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But listen to Jesus' words. 
but see to it that you are not alarmed. That's what Jesus said. There are going to be wars, and there are going to be rumors of wars, and there are going to be people standing up and saying, I got the truth, and I know the answers, and I got all the revelation. He said, but you need to see to it that you are not alarmed. Don't get swept up. Don't get captivated. Don't get driven by fear and anxiety. See to it that you are not alarmed. Because many people are going to want to deceive you. And we don't wage war like this world does. We're not free to curse, only to bless. Amen? Amen? I can't fight a spiritual enemy with physical weapons. My job is to fight a spiritual battle, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Our job as the church of Jesus Christ is to fight that war, and that war doesn't get won with physical weapons. That war is a spiritual war. So I can't use slander or mockery. I can't be in arrogance. I can't be disdainful of other people. I can't use the weapons of this world. I have to use the weapons of my king and of his kingdom. So I have to walk in love and in humility and in faith and walk with the truth. And I have to walk in righteousness. Amen? So don't get unrighteous because you got stirred up. Amen. Let's move on. <laughs> we have a call to pray, and we have a battle to fight, and we have an enemy to conquer. Amen. I want to preach a message called Remember Me. Remember Lord. Remember Lord. There are times when we need to be reminded that God loves us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, and that he's an ever-present help in our time of need, that his grace and his mercy are available to us whenever we boldly approach his throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. He, we need to be reminded he never casts away anybody who comes to him. Sometimes it's the weirdest thing, but life's pressures and stuff, and we start to forget the basic truths of this gospel. And when we forget the basic truths of this gospel, it never goes well with us. There are times we forget, but our forgetfulness does us no good. There are times when we get tempted to think because we forget that God forgets. And that's simply not the truth. We think maybe I've slipped his mind or maybe he has more important or pressing matters or maybe he's forgotten. And we are tempted to say, and we do, we lift up our cry and say, Lord, remember me. Remember me, Lord. So I want to talk about this remember me prayer that is not only valid and useful, but something that I want to do this morning. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust because it would, be in un it would not be just if, if God forgot you. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help him. God will not forget. 
and God will not forget His promise over your life and God will not forget the love that's extended to you and God will not forget the covenant that He made with you in the blood of His own Son. God will not forget. He's not unjust. He doesn't play a game with you. He doesn't tease. He doesn't tempt. He doesn't pull you to the place and then back off. No, He enters a covenant. He swores an oath. He makes Himself vulnerable and He commits Himself in the highest form of commitment that He can conceive of so that you would be secure and know for certain that He will not change His mind. He will not forget. That's what the New Testament says. And not forget the such comforting words to me. Such necessary words for those who seek to please God. Because this life is going to push back and it's going to resist my efforts and it's going to mock my cause and it's not going to celebrate all my righteous stands and I need to console myself with this idea that I remember my God remembers me. When nobody else is celebrating, when nobody else is applauding, when it feels like everything is against me, I go, but God, you see and you remember and if we study the Scriptures, we find a God who remembers His people. And I'm going to look at just a few examples very quickly. But God considers their circumstances. He remembers the pressures they're under. He feels their pain. He empathizes with them. And the Bible says, and God remembered them. And it carries all of that weight with it. All of the emotion behind it, all of the care involved, all of the compassion implied, God remembers and there's some people sitting in the sound of my voice this morning and you're going, I'm not sure God remembered me. So I want to talk to you about the God who has remembered you. And I want to invite you in just a minute or two to cry out, say, God, remember me. Genesis 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark. God was spending his wrath against mankind in the flood and people were crying out and people were dying and man, God was angry with mankind because they had only ever rebelled and the wrath of God was being spent against the earth and Noah is just hanging on for dear life and then God remembers Noah and the Bible says he sends a wind and he starts to dry up the earth because he remembered Noah. Genesis 19, God remembered Abraham. He starts to destroy the cities on the plain, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, because they've just been just in such vile rebellion against God. And the Bible says God starts to destroy them, but God remembered Abraham and he's brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Because when God mentioned that he was going to do this, Abraham began to intercede and God gave him a promise. And so God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. God remembers. Genesis 30, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Samuel 1, Hannah, God remembered her and gave her a son. Nehemiah, Nehemiah is appointed the governor over that region and he goes back to build the walls of the city of Jerusalem and he's crying out to God. And although he has the right to levy taxes on everybody who's living in the land, and he has the right to expect them to supply his table with all his nobles, they are supposed to be provided for by the people who live in the land. But he comes and he sees the people are not able to do any of this. And so he says, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to all the food and wine. 
and their assistants lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations, and in spite of all of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, God. I love this. He's going, I could have had taxes, but instead of them paying me taxes, I took my own money and I fed them. And instead of, instead of me being harsh with them, they started to annoy me. Go read the story. And he goes, I, and I just poured out my life and I just basically emptied out my pockets and I served the people and I, I gave up everything I had. I, I put my reputation on the line. I put my finances on the line so that I could bless these people. And he goes, Lord, remember me because none of them is being grateful. But God, remember me for this. Perhaps you're like Noah, you're beginning to wonder if God has forgotten you in the middle of your flood. Maybe you're like Lot, when everything around you is being destroyed right now and you're wondering, does God even remember me? Perhaps like Rachel or Hannah, you're feeling that your cries through many dark nights have gone unheard and your heart wants to cry out, Lord, remember me. Maybe like Nehemiah, you've done some good things, sacrificial things, and it seems like no one has seen Rather, they've assumed that the sacrifice you've made is owed to them instead of generously given in service. I'm going to pray a prayer now. But I know across this room, there are some people here sitting here and you want to say, Lord, remember me. Lord, as the psalmist said, let your mercy come also to me. As blind Bartimaeus screamed, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember me, Lord. And I don't know what you're facing and I don't know what circumstances you're in, but for the next 30 seconds, I'm just going to dare you in your own heart to just cry out to God. Say, Lord, remember me. Okay, let's pray. Father, I lift up my cry along with all of these people. And we say, Lord, remember me. Remember me, Lord, for this faith that I've shown. Remember me, Lord, for the faithfulness I've walked before you. Remember me, Lord, for the pain I've been in. Remember me, Lord, for the mess that's been around my life. Remember me, Lord, in the middle of the destruction. Remember me, Lord, in the middle of the pressure. Remember me, Lord, in the cries that feel like they've been unheard. Remember me, Lord. Remember me. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things you start to find when you go through a study of remember is that you find that people start to call. They say, remember your covenant with my representative. So God shows up many times and he finds somebody and he puts his favor on them and then especially those he enters into a covenant with. And when God commits himself and binds himself in a covenant with somebody, everybody who's com connected to the person that God gains as a covenant gets blessed along with the person in covenant, right? Many times those people start to see I'm being favored because of God's favor on that person that I'm connected with and they start to call out. They say, Lord, remember me, I'm connected to him, right? And so <laughs> they, they say, you, you promised and, and I'm associated with him and I, I'm, I'm a co your covenant partner with him and we direct line ascendancy. And this is especially evident in the line of David. And I'm going to read you some of those because God made a covenant of love and kindness with David so that one of his sons would always rule on the throne. And that was supposed to carry on in the natural, but it's obviously made real in the spiritual by Jesus, who's 
very carefully known as the son of David. He rules on the throne of his father, David, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, right? Jesus rules on the throne of David. That's the fulfillment of the promise to David that for all eternity, one of your sons will rule. And, uh, but God remembers this covenant he made with David. And so you find that constantly in Scripture, the Scriptures start to talk about somebody, the Lord was about to deal with them, and he remembered, yeah, I promised David I'd be kind. We read you, 1 Kings. The Lord became very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God had shown up twice. He'd visibly seen God, and he still turned his heart away. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon didn't keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you've not kept my commandment or my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of your father David, I won't do it during your lifetime. 1 Kings 15 this is Abijah. This is three kings later. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and making Jerusalem strong. He wasn't serving God. He was doing stupid things. And God said, I should end his line. I promised David. Second Kings 18, six generations from David. Jehoram did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. Hezekiah, 13 generations later. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Didn't stand. God makes a covenant. That representative head represents a group of people and God keeps the covenant he made with this person, with those people, because they claim allegiance to him. Let me show you this in, with others. God remembered Exodus 2. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Psalm 105. He remembers his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. This is about 500 years later. This is like God saying to one of our founding fathers, he gave him a promise, and he's still remembering it today. I gave whoever it was, I gave him a promise, and it's still manifesting today. What's going on with this? Who prayed this prayer? Someone 500 years ago. He took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant. Now, you get this, and I want to bring you to Psalm 132, because it's one of the psalms that was written, the songs of a sense. Everybody sang the psalm when they came into Jerusalem. They would climb up 10 stairs. They'd sing 10 what are called psalms of a sense, and this was one of them. But this is, interestingly, if you, if you understand now that principle, this is what they were crying. They said, Lord... Remember David and all his self-denial. Remember what a good God David was. Remember how he served you, Lord, with all his heart. Remember how he sacrificed. Uh, and, and you promised him 
that you wouldn't reject your anointed one and you swore an oath to him, a sure oath that you'll never revoke. One of your own descendants I'll place on the throne. And if your sons keep my covenant and statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one, and I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant cloud. Israel prayed, Lord, remember David. Because at the time of the writing of the song, it wasn't going that well for Israel. Life wasn't easy. They weren't having great victory over the enemies. It wasn't always peace and joy. And they started to say, Lord, remember David. Remember you promised David. And we're his kids and you promised. We probably don't deserve it. I probably haven't lived like I should have. And I probably disobeyed you. But Lord, remember David. And I want to say to the church, remember Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Because you and I may not have been perfect in the way we've lived and we haven't always done the right thing and I haven't always praised when I should have or prayed when I should have or been at peace when I should have or or, or been full of faith when I needed to. Maybe I haven't done everything perfectly. Maybe I haven't done everything. Maybe maybe your life you're going, man, I've tried my best, but I haven't done that well. And I, I don't actually want God to remember. I don't want God to remember all of my things, but I just want to say when God remembers Jesus and his sacrifice on your behalf, then he no longer remembers your sins and your lawless deeds. Jesus is known by his scars. He's remembered for his sacrifice. He's wholly acceptable to God, sufficient for all sin, for all time, and he is remembered by God, and God remembers that he completely accepted that sacrifice on your behalf and his declaration that that lamb was acceptable and that that body and that blood was a perfect sacrifice for all sin. God remembers us through the life, death, resurrection and ongoing intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a new and perfect representative head, Jesus Christ, we enter favor and peace with God. Let me read this to you, Hebrews 8. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Hebrews 10, and he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Well, and it's this. So I want to re-examine what Jesus did for us. I want to go through this quickly because I want to end this with communion because I want us to take communion and say, Lord, I remember. Would you remember me by Jesus? Here you go. Number one, Jesus washes us clean by his blood. This is the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You were washed clean by the blood of Jesus. He washed you in his sacrificial blood. That proof in the heavens that the full death price has been paid for all my sins. And now I stand and now you stand forgiven and made righteous by that blood. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus and what he did on your behalf. 
The second thing he did is he absorbed all of God's wrath against all of your sin. Just like when, when God was spending all his wrath by the waters of Noah, the Bible says that that water symbolizes baptism, which now saves you. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, the, the symbolic washing of your body by those waters, because of the waters of the wrath of God have been absorbed against your life because Jesus by his blood absorbed all the wrath of God against all your sin. And God spent all his anger and all his wrath and all his judgment against your sin and against my sin on his own son in his body on that tree. And when Jesus died, it was paid for. And when he said, it is finished, it really was. Hallelujah. Now you're highly favored. Remember Jesus. He redeemed you from all bondage by his blood. It wasn't with the empty, perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but it was the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or default. That blood spilt on your behalf, brought you back from every form of bondage. It was the blood price paid for your emancipation. There is nothing, there is no debt outstanding on your life. There is no other person who can say it, but I have a claim. No, Jesus' blood purchased you back from every form of bondage that you or anybody else have put you in. Praise God. I'm, every single debt over my life has been covered and I've been set free. Praise God. He declares us innocent. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath by him? Jesus declared you guilt-free because your slate had been wiped clean. And the list of accusations, the long list of accusations that stood against us were taken away and nailed to the cross. And now, because there is nothing against us, there is no accusation that can stick, we have been declared acquitted and guilt-free eternally by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to say, Lord, remember my actions. I'm going to go, Lord, remember Jesus and his actions on my behalf. <laughs> Jesus then by his blood set you aside for sacred use to make people holy through his own blood Hebrews 13 says or Hebrews 10 says some people treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that has sanctified them or made them holy Jesus by his blood set you aside that is, he deemed you ready for noble work because he's washed you, removed all the wrath of God, declared you acquitted, restored you, freed you from every form of bondage. And now he says you are ready. You are set aside for noble work. You're able to handle holy things. You can have pure thoughts. And he calls you holy. Not because of your behavior, but because of the blood of, and the sacrifice of his son. He restores us to relationship with God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or things on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus has restored you to a place of full intimacy and relationship with God, and now you have been brought very near, and you can have the relationship with God that you want to have. Because there's nothing that he has set in between you and him. You're as close to God as you want to be. Because there's nothing holding you back from his side. 
Lastly, he gives us a brand new life. You who are far away, you who are dead in your transgressions have been brought alive and made very near by the blood of Christ. Jesus gave me a new life. Now I'm born again. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God.